0: You know, I think that that one of the things that's kind of on everybody's mind always, it's probably the biggest burden or perceived burden is student loans. So tell me about the situation of current student loans within optometry
1: and what you see uh, is the reason for that and what's the future of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, like you mentioned, it's a huge issue in
2: optometry and across the board. I mean, we go to dental, medical everywhere. Student loans are kind of the hot topic. And I think number one, the reason is these days, student loans are a lot higher than they used to be. Uh, I remember when I graduated, I graduated with about 160000 in debt. That was considered a low. A lot of my peers were 200 or $300,000 in debt. And now with these new grads coming out these days, it's not unusual to see four or even $500,000 in debt. And it's even more for our peers in other industries. So that is number one is the big thing is how do you pay that off, especially when you graduate? Three to four hundred k in debt, and then you're starting salaries one hundred to one hundred fifty. That debt to income ratio is just so drastic. And how do you even approach that? And of course, these last two years with COVID, we had a lot of loan deferments, so a lot of people didn't have to pay loans for a while, and you know zero percent interest, all these things. And then all of a sudden. It comes think that, up that hey, yeah, maybe the government don't, uh, might start so, forgiving loans, which I, I is always kind of. A, I want to
0: get your thoughts about no, it. I mean, on the one hand, it's like, uh, so I I paid my loan loans off. I, I had about one hundred and ten thousand yeah. dollars in two thousand and eight, and I paid them off as as quickly as I could. It took me about two and a half years. So we we Dave Ramsey did, uh, which we'll get to in a second because I think your model is very similar. But at some point with professionals, yeah, Dave, Dave Ramsey's model in my mind just sort of peters out, uh, and and I want to kind of pick your brain about that. Where there's still a good structure, but it seems like, anyway, from my, mm-hmm. my moving, it, it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense uh, once you get past a certain point. But, but in any case, um, you know my sense is that any administration at this point is not, at least the current administration, is not going to restart those loans. What do you think about that? I wanna talk about the MyDay Multifocal for a second. It's just coming out and we had the opportunity to do a preclinical trial with this lens this last summer. And there were a couple things that I thought were really helpful. The first one is that it is different than a lot of the multifocals that we've used before in our practices where patients, especially early emerging presbyopes, really managed the, it didn't cause a lot of additional uh, distance blur for them. And the other thing that was really helpful was because we've never been involved in a clinical trial before was to understand uh, the sort of questions that we might ask our patients. And we ask pa- our patients a lot of questions about their, patient- about their satisfaction with a contact lens, but what we weren't doing was actually having them score that themselves. So one of the parts of this that was really interesting to me was asking patients on a scale of one to 10, how they would score their vision, how they would score their comfort in their current lenses, and then how they would do the same on their uh, new lenses. And it showed me a lot of times where patients would say they were happy, might rate their vision as a six or a seven. And um, and then it also reframed their thinking about their current satisfaction in their lenses and allowed me to open up the door to offering other solutions. So if you haven't tried something like that in your clinical practice, I would encourage you to. And I would also encourage you to try the MyDay Multifocal for your patients. I'm really excited today to talk about our new sponsor, Matthew Health. We've been using Health in my practice for the last few years and there's been a couple things that I really like about it. The first is that when patients go to the store and they're looking for an AREDS 2 supplement, they are bombarded with a lot of different options. What I like about MacuHealth is that it keeps the zinc content at what the AREDS 2 supplement did, so 25 milligrams, and it also adds the benefit of mesozeaxanthine. Additionally, I like MacuHealth because they're always trying to reformulate things so that you can improve absorption with patients, you can also count on them to continue to push the envelope, not just with AREDS-type supplements and macular health-type supplements, but also visual performance supplements. But now they have an omega-3, and I'm excited to see what they do in the future so it's been great for my practice great for my patients check out macu health if you haven't done
2: so yet yeah yeah i am at the same opinion as you and you know student loan forgiveness has been talked about a lot and we've always advised to not gamble on it to not bet on it because who knows what's going to happen and just the the logistics of it don't really make sense without getting too political they just they just don't with taxpayer money. How are we going to review all these loans when the money has to come from somewhere? So how is that going to be done in a yeah, in an equitable I mean, way? So, yeah, I wouldn't hold my breath on that. I mean, it's it's been nice for individuals yeah, I, that I, I have had this. The zero thing about it for so me is like, I think that.
0: Um, politically, I saw this, you probably saw this on social media platforms where, you know, the, the time was coming up and then here comes the payments due again. And then all, all the people are kind of tagging uh, POTUS and saying, oh, "Come on, POTUS, you can't um, stop this now." And uh, you you campaigned on on uh, student loan forgiveness, and again, not without well, not with getting political, but it's like I think that the easiest thing is for them to pause uh, pause payments, zero uh, percent interest in perpetuity, and kick the can down the road. That's that's what I see them doing, uh, and I, I think I think complete forgiveness seems like.
1: You know, again, trying not okay. to be
0: political, but but talk about um, upper middle class welfare. You know, the, the most, the highest amounts of student loans are for probably the highest earners, potential earners. And, um, and they're taking from people who maybe either decided to save for their, their school right. or
1: uh, decided to work, you know, instead of going to school. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that's going to be a hard pill to swallow. So then what's your advice now in the current situation? Definitely. What's your advice definitely. now to, yeah, to I students? There. Is there kind of a general uh, or new graduates? What's, a, what's your general advice to them about what to do in the current situation? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, with the current situation, I think it's still
2: wise to stay true to just kind of the solid principles behind debt elimination and starting to invest. So number one. Have a game plan, so have a blueprint on how you're going to approach this to build wealth and get out of debt. Um, For me, the number one thing you want to put on that list is, first of all, establish an emergency fund. Always have to have that because you never know what's going to happen in the future. So three to six months of living expense, just put that away in a savings account. Don't worry about it. Just in case something happens where you can't work or you can't generate income, you have that to fall back on. And then number two, start getting rid of that debt. And of course, you want to balance that. You don't want to just put everything into debt because, you know, it's 6 it's to 7% and that's a guaranteed return. Who knows what the market can give you? So it's always good to invest as well because we've got to think about retirement in the future as well. And so just having a solid kind of yin and yang right there, but focusing on that debt and not being distracted from that debt because I, I feel it's so important to eliminate that as soon as possible because it frees you to do so many things once that debt is gone. Uh, whether it be entrepreneurial pursuits with your own practice or other things, buying real estate, just it, there's a lot of different avenues that open up once you get that debt load off yeah, your shoulders. I'll, so that's kind of my general. Yeah, idea. I would totally
0: agree. I mean, on Dave, it, even I, with everything I, going yeah, on. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to not just use my personal story, but, but certainly um, there's something mentally, I think Dave Ramsey does this a lot, right? Sorry, sorry to bring him in, but, but I, that's, you know, that's the system that I use, Uh And, you know, yeah, it, it, there's something good. mentally that occurs when you eliminate, when you kind of go on a path and just get something done and then eliminate that something. It's not just the monthly, like the monthly payment that is eliminated. It's also sort of empowering to know like, oh, I can do a lot of things with my efforts, right? Because you work harder at certain things and you and you work more. And
1: <clears throat> so
0: um, as opposed to just being content with...
1: Yeah. I'm just going to chip away and chip away and chip away. And uh, I think there's just sort of a mentality that comes along with it. Definitely. Definitely. I agree with that. And when I was paying off my loans, I mean, I think we kind of approached it similarly. I just
2: tried to knock them off as as soon as I could. And I remember every time I would, I think there was like four or five um, different types of loans I had. And every time I knocked out one of them, it was a, a huge mental like hurdle that I jumped over and that allowed me to, it was, it was something I could rejoice in. And just looking on our ODs on finance forum, we see just whenever, whenever someone pays off their loans, they always post about it. They're elated, They're happy. And it just really helps everyone else because there's a, a sea of comps that come in where everyone else is like, Hey, this is great. I'm encouraged to pay off my loans in the future. Or it just, you know. I was discouraged but now I'm encouraged cuz I see another peer that's been able to do it. So we're all in this together and, and think it's that, just good to um, see that collaboration. So I
0: guess that kind of builds into why the why behind OD's on finance. You know, um, I think it can be a little bit misleading because when I hear finance I'm thinking, well, more loans, more, you know, more uh figuring out ways to kind of take more credit and those sorts of things. But it's actually not, as I've kind of delved into your site and just worked with you guys, that, that's not really the, the main re- thing. So kind of talk about ODs on Finance and what your main
1: purpose was, what's your why, and then how that's evolved over the last few years. Yeah, yeah, Definitely. Uh, I mean, just a little bit of back history. We started ODs on
2: finance in 2018. Uh, Originally, Dat and I, and Dat's the other co-founder of ODs on finance, we just started as a small Facebook group, essentially just an area where ODs could talk about finance, could talk about investing, getting out of debt. And then the mission behind it was to provide all the resources that was necessary for ODs to achieve both personal and professional financial freedom. So whether that be in your personal life or in your business. And so that's what we started doing. Go out and do. We built the website. Uh, just started putting up a bunch of resources, but a bunch of articles on how to achieve financial freedom. We started recruiting a bunch of partners that helped out that, whether it be CFPs, CPAs, uh, insurance agents, all the like. And then, yeah, we just kept building the platform. And really the number one thing though is that community aspect. I think that's what helps all the ODs that are on our platform right now. We got about 13,000 is just that they're able to converse about their finances. It's kind of this open forum. We try to keep it as positive as we can. There's guidelines where we can only really say positive things and constructive things. And that way, once again, it's just that collaborative environment where people start learning from each other. They learn from the website and then they learn from the professionals that we bring on. And it just continues to grow
0: I mean, there's a clear answer behind why Why? it has been successful because there's so
1: much debt, of course. But why do you think... um, how do you think you've, how do you, why do you think that there's this resistance
0: to, in general, this resistance to thinking about debt earlier on? I mean, why, why aren't we thinking about this until we get done with school? Or
1: maybe it, maybe it is, but I just, I don't know that I really thought deeply about it. Yeah, yeah, I think first of all in school,
2: Finance isn't really taught, to be honest, especially in optometry school. I think for us at SCO, which was a you know a school that really pushed uh, practice ownership, I think I had one practice ownership class, one practice management class, but finance was really something I didn't know much about. I mean, when I got out of school, I had no idea any of these resources existed. It was the same for debt, And then we started learning about them and understanding how important they were, and that's kind of what allowed us to start out. on finance. But I think really the key is just to have that awareness that you know when you get out of school, most individuals are two to three hundred thousand dollars in debt. I mean your your net worth is negative two hundred k. I mean you're technically worth less than <laughs> someone begging on, you know, on the street for change if you really think about it. If you really put it into perspective, and I think if you do put that into perspective when you get out of school, that makes you think a little bit differently about your current situation. Whereas you know The common thing is when you get out of school, you, you buy the doctor car or you go on the vacations because now you are a doctor. But really, it's you got to look at it from a long-term point of view versus just that short-term and realize that, hey, once again, uh, I'm just kind of beating a dead horse here. But getting rid of that debt is going to really propel you. And it's going to propel totally the profession right. as well totally. because I mean, you're going to have the freedom to do more thing things. Of, <laughs> when I see
0: people who are struggling, um, not always, but, but you get stuck. Right. So like if you get the doctor car, if you get the doctor house right away, then you're saddled with that specific level of income. So as an example, the example I always use, I won't use specific dollars, but, you know, when I came out of school, I had the opportunity to practice multiple places. Uh Some of them, other private entities that I have no ability to own the practice over time. Some of them commercial entities that clearly I wouldn't have the ability to own over time. And, um, and they would, they both of them were, were paying substantially more than what I could make, um, at the office that I chose to go to. And that's a real hard pill to swallow. And I think it's probably harder now because you, you know, I'm sitting here thinking I'm, I'm going to work, uh, five days a week in this main practice. They're taking a hit because they're bringing me on, right? They're, or they're, or they're not, they're, they're bre- breaking even at best and probably losing some money for some time. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to, also add another day, a sixth day, and maybe even occasionally pick up another day so I can hustle on the side. And um, where some people could get out and make that exact same money or more in five days a week with guaranteed salary and bonuses and all this other kind of stuff. And um, at first, there's was, there was a number of years. I mean, if I'm being honest, there was probably two or three years at the very beginning where I was just like, man, I, I started to get frustrated. Like I could I could go do this someplace else for the same amount of time. Uh, but but, I stuck to it. I believed in in it uh partly because because the owner of the practice was my dad, and I trusted him, and I believed him and and um and and I knew that that things down the road would pay off and and here I am right and so so what i 'm saying, and here I am is not that i 've arrived or i 'm some like you know big guy i 'm just saying that that where i 'm at now from a financial standpoint both in existing income and potential future income and value of the practice that I own is exponentially larger than what I would, what I would get if I was still employed or uh, still chugging along. And so it's, it's hard to see that. Um, It was just hard to see that at the very beginning. It's like, I'm just trying, but I was able to do it because my wife and I were really frugal. You know, we, we didn't, we came out of school, we bought a really, um, you know, a a really affordable house. We had, you know, we didn't buy new cars. We had the same cars we had in school. Um, Yeah. I mean, so I think that's, that was a big part of it. And so I wonder
1: if people think that story is just a sort of pipe dream now, or they really are believing it. What's your, what's your sense on that? Yeah, I think it's getting pushed more and more towards the pipe
2: dream. I mean, I, I just think recently I had a, a new grad that, you know, I, I do a lot through private messaging and email and kind of just help out new grads and those that are wanting to get into practice ownership. And he was looking at two different scenarios. Uh, one was he wanted to open up cold and his hometown back in Arkansas. And second option was to take a corporate job that would, you know, give him about close to 200 K a year off the bat. And so it, you know, I told him, I was like, well, what do you really want to pursue? Of course he wanted to open cold in his hometown. I mean, that was his dream, but, but the reality of that was that it was going to be a good three to five years of struggle before it was going to pay off just how the numbers were working out. But yeah, and it's on top of that, you got the student loans and everything, but we're, we're seeing more and more new grads going that route though, just taking yeah. the corporate route or the private equity, you know, wh- whatever it is. Uh, just taking the money because of that debt because that kind of pulls you back from your dreams and maybe and then the problem is if you wait what ends up happening is you get more comfortable you know you start a family you buy a house all of a sudden you have all these other expenses so that practice that you wanted to build from scratch obviously that's not going to be working because you got to you know have a few years where you're not going to be making money so and you need that cash flow so yeah i can see how it is yeah, it, it is really hard, and dream, I think that quote, you know you
0: you made the point. It's not as good for the profession when you when you go and do that. And, I, and my sense has always been, and I'm you know this is a broad brush, and it's not accurate across the across the board. But you know, my sense is most of those places um mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna hustle. They're gonna get their money out of you. You're gonna be working. I you know you might be doing a lot of kind of comprehensive routine care, and yes. as you as you as I was on. Um, one of your, uh, one of your educational seminars, one of the things that I see so often is that you get into that mode of practice for three, five years, and you just get used to seeing the routine patient, routine patient, routine patient. And then when you decide, you finally can break away for those that can break away and move on and open their own practice. Ah, they yeah. just, mm-hmm. how did they learn to practice? What are they comfortable with? Well, they're comfortable with this. And now they're going to just open whatever the corporate practice or the you know commercial practice was that that they were existing in, they're just going to replicate it. And now it's private, but it's just, right. it's the same thing. And now you're trying to compete against basically the, the methods that you are using in a corporate practice and how do you differentiate yourself in the, in the private practice? Uh, so yeah. And, and, and so then, then yeah, they don't know how to get paid for mm-hmm. the services. First of all, they, they have, they forget on how to manage, I'll not forget, but they're not, they're not in the mode of managing complex eye diseases. So it takes them longer. And really they're not in the mode of understanding how to get paid for them. So then they see less value in it. And so they, they'd they say, I'll let somebody else do that. And so, so I think all of this finance and understanding, you know, uh, managing eye diseases and getting paid to manage those eye diseases, it all really comes in together because, um, because if you don't make that step at the very beginning, then um, it's really hard. I would imagine. I, I speak for myself. I think it would be really hard if I wasn't managing eye diseases, complex eye diseases for,
1: you know, the three or four years after I was, I was out of school. Um, it would be hard to pick back up. Mm-hmm. No, I, yeah, I completely agree with you. I remember
2: When I first got out of school, I worked at a LASIK center for a couple of months. And that's like, you know, after doing LASIK pre and post-ops for a, that's all you're doing it. I remember getting back into, when I bought my private practice, I was like, yeah, this is, this is tough to get back into because it's just not what you're used to. You get used to that grind, that certain way of practicing and and you get good at it. But, you know, it's like you're saying, uh, you need to differentiate if you're going to get into private practice. You can't just practice the conveyor route you know do you conveyor belt route. That, you think that uh something schools a bit are
0: so what kind of i mean i don't re- recall much financial you know it was mostly like my financial con- counseling was hey we got a financial package for you and here's your loan and i love my school by the way uh but but what are they doing now is it different at private schools yeah. i mean it's a mine was a fraction
1: of what they're they're spending now so what kind of financial guidance do they have in school Mm-hmm. You know, from what I've heard, I, mean, I graduated in 2015, so it's been a few years since I've been out.
2: But from what I've heard, it's it's pretty similar to when I was in school. Uh, I remember first day of school, um, first year, they gave us the uh, whole cheeseburger talk where you know, a cheeseburger you purchase today is going to be worth three times or zero, as much in or the future because are right using student loans. And um, that was as far as they basically yeah. got. That's as, we don't know. It could be three times, exactly. Or <laughs> yeah,
1: but yeah, that was pretty end.
2: much all we got. And then, yep. Yeah. And then they're like, yeah. yeah. And then they're just like, okay, time to take out your student loans. <laughs> so good luck. So that was pretty much it. And then you know we had a good practice management class, but yeah, that was pretty much it. And really, our goal is to. I mean, we're we're starting to reach out to schools a lot more now. Um, we've extended our book out to quite a few schools have it in the bookstore now. And we're just trying to do lectures, just trying to get the word out. And it doesn't need to be us per se. I just, I just really hope that there is education that starts to build in each of these schools on finance. And I hope that it's coming from optometrists or optometry and not, you know, not bringing in these, uh, financial advisors that just want to acquire clients. Cause I know that does happen in schools, but that's a little bit different really just that solid foundational knowledge of how finance works i, I just yeah think and it's I mean, vital that's when you can really affect the most
1: change right
0: like like in schools have so many things that they need to teach and they, they have to teach you know to make practitioners safe and provide you know and provide excellent care and i think they do a wonderful job of that um i think they do the best job that can be done for primary eye care and what i mean say primary eye care i mean you know, prescribing medications and managing lots of eye diseases. That's, I mean, that I think that they do better than anybody, any other training program. Um, But, you know, I do think there's, there's Mm. gotta be something else because uh, it doesn't, you know, if I can get this much money to live uh, and it's all something I can push down the road, unless I'm really diligent, it's hard. And and so those financial institutions are basically just awarding. You know, my my sense is they're telling you they're giving you the speech, but they're saying yeah, and it's fifty thousand dollars a year, or sixty thousand dollars a year, eighty thousand dollars a year. Uh, but it's fine. Just don't eat have the cheeseburger. It's like come on, it's not the cheeseburger that's that's blowing our budget here. You know, it, it's it's just not. It's it's the it's the it's the yeah. institution. And so I I don't know right. a way around mm-hmm. that. What do you think about I mean, I mean what are mechanisms that that will drive the cost of education down or allow us to figure
1: out ways to make it to make it more affordable so it doesn't stymie a profession. Yeah, yeah, that is a that's a good question that we've been around quite a bit. And I wish I had a better
2: answer. But I yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough one. And I think if someone does come up with the answer, they're going to be very successful as a policymaker. But but yeah, I mean, we would give some advice to students when they're in school to kind of keep expenses down. Obviously, the tuition, I, not much we can do about that, but just limiting equipment costs and equipment purchases, just limiting everything you do in school, trying to work if you can, but obviously don't let that affect your schooling and your learning. But yeah, all these things that you can reduce your debt while in school. It's actually kind of an overlooked concept, but it's important because that's how you're building that debt in the first place is by spending it those four years that you're in optometry school. So the more creative ways you can find to reduce that debt, you're going to be better off in the long run. So, but other than that, yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough, and I've heard that, yeah, ODE education's only going up. Um, I'm surprised to see how high it is from when I went to school because I I still don't I still like to think of myself as young, being seven years out, and I it's it's astronomically different than yeah. when I was there. Well, was, I think <laughs> I think we've seen it so.
0: I mean. Um, my, my sense, just listening to you talk is that every single student right now in school, anybody that's listening to this has to, has to at least connect with you and have a plan for what that debt's going to look like and how much that debt is going to be. Um, and I don't think they can trust their financial advisors at school. I, I I will say that blatantly. I, I don't think it's because they have ill intent. It's because most of those financial advisors in most schools are not um, they're they're not looking out for the profession. They're not looking out for the long term, you know, uh, um, interests of the patient. They're they're looking out for we want you to feel comfortable with this amount of of money that this school costs. And because of that, uh, then we're going to figure out a way for you to pay for that now. Um, but and and we're going to try to do some, have you do some other smart things. But you know, look, they're, they're and I don't blame the schools, but they're. They're not going to say, look, this is a really expensive decision and you're going to make $100,000 a year with $500,000 in debt. That's not a very a good, a smart financial decision. They're just not going to say that. Uh, so I think they need to, I think students really need to reach out to groups like yourself specifically um, for other guidance to say, not that is this a good investment. I think it is. I mean, if you make the right moves, it's a great investment. Um, but you have to be. I think the people who are making right moves are making most of those right moves throughout school Um, because you're just going to get you're going to get out if you haven't been thinking about this and it's just going to be you'll be swimming and you'll be frustrated. I've got I've had friends that are like not happy with the choice they've made. Uh, They've seriously rethought. I mean, some of them have changed that now 13 years out, but I have friends that have told me like this is the this is a bad decision. I should not have gone to optometry. Um, and it took them a long time. And we just don't want that. We can't have
1: that as a profession. And our patients, you know, yeah. they, they don't benefit from that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I know that. Uh, honestly, when I, I hear those conversations, and I feel like they come up more and more these days, and it, it's
2: kind of heartbreaking that, to hear that, you know, especially because most individuals that like, go into this profession and want to, and, you know, you have so many different choices. We We chose to do this and to here that the, it's especially it's the financial burden that's causing people to have regrets about this profession Is yeah, it's just, it's, it's sad to me. And I think it's something. So tell me when you
0: think about, we got, brought, up, brought up Dave Ramsey. I'm not, I don't want to harp on the institutions anymore. I, I mean, I can't say it enough, how, how valuable they are and how good of a job they do. I just am not, mm-hmm. I just think that, you know, you need other advice. You need other advice. Um, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It, no, and, it, I, and I, I agree. The, yeah. the,
0: so how do you view, what you all are doing, or why is, why do I get the sense that Dave Ramsey was really great at the beginning of my career to get myself out of debt, but it doesn't seem to
1: speak as well anymore um, now that I'm kind of in the middle of my career. Why do I feel like that? Yeah, yeah, I think it, this is actually a common point that's brought up, and I'm glad you did bring it up. this. I think Dave Ramsey is
2: absolutely fantastic uh for beginners. And I, I think that's what his market is. That's who he's trying to teach are people that just have no idea where they're going. And they're just going down that, you know, that that downward slope into more and more debt. Yeah. And I think the seven baby steps, and I think that's in his bestselling book. I think those are great for getting out of debt, for getting you started, getting a foundation. Um, I agree with him on how you have to be intently focused on eliminating debt. And how personal finance, you know, it's mostly just mental. It's a lot of it's not math. The math is pretty simple when you really look at it. A lot of it's just mental and behavioral. And yeah, and I also agree that, you know, debt is probably the number one problem that faces most Americans. I mean, when you look at,
0: yeah. I
1: forget what the statistics is. Yeah, something is, like, like 70% percent Americans that couldn't afford paycheck, a $1,000 bill or something debt like that. that a big it's astronomical. Now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I saw that that recent statistic that came out
2: which is crazy and then but yeah i think there are and of course he says to avoid whole life insurance that's a whole other topic but i think that's a an important one as well and so i think those are the things gets right and i think they're great when you're first starting out so one years one through three maybe or but then after a while some of the advice doesn't work well because then you start to become high income earner that doesn't have as much debt and then you have to be a little more strategic with your money and that's where his advice is mainly just for those early steps. And then, no, let's, let's hear. There's a few things I, I don't good. like about him. Um, I just I occasionally watch his show and I've read some of his books. Yeah. I think uh, number one is he he always says, and it's on his website as well, if you use his calculator for investment returns, it, it auto populates 12%, which is a, a little bit unrealistic, especially if you're going in an SP index 500 or a 500. It's going to be about 7% is what the historic mm-hmm. average is. And I really think it's. A little dangerous to think that whatever you invest is gonna get you a twelve percent return because um that's gonna increase expectations to an unrealistic point. Um actually if you really take his advice at heart, he says off school is basically a bad idea because yeah. he doesn't like healthcare professionals taking out a ton of debt to go into school. So when you look at that, that's another thing he says and then Yeah, and then there's a few other things. Uh, He does mention some actively managed funds. I think part of the reason he proposes those is because I'm sure that somehow affects him positively in his business. So I prefer just the passive low-cost index funds that those always have a solid return and they beat most active managers out there. So I don't see a reason to go to the active managed funds. And then I think what was the last one I think he said that yeah $1000 emergency fund is what he recommended and I might be we might be a little biased cuz we're on the west coast there where everything's a little more expensive but yeah I think that is a another one that should be a little bit higher especially for ODs especially if you have a family and you've got a mortgage And especially if you own a practice as well, you got to have a a larger emergency fund in those cases. Well, yeah, I mean, so yeah, when it comes to investing, I think there's different ways to go. We
0: we we definitely felt like, you know, we had we had the emergency fund. We were on the higher end of what both for the practice and personally. And when COVID hit, you know, it was like this isn't enough. I mean, you, you know, it was it was enough to get us through that period. But you start thinking about things totally differently. You start thinking like okay, well, if we do this, okay, we could last this long, we could last this long, okay, we could cut to here. I mean, it, it was amazing. Yeah. We you just kind of almost like, it took me, I would say it, it probably took me a solid 18 months to really kind of feel like, okay, this is still an acceptable amount of emergency fund. And it, yeah, that really threw me into disarray. Yeah, I think my, my thing with-
2: oh, Yeah, COVID, yeah, all the doomsday scenarios, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, you, you know, know, at some point, you know, at some toilet point,
2: paper being yeah, know, astronomically yeah. expensive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: but at some point, you know, you, you, you do sort of throw your hands up. You're kind of like, all right, well, there's risk in the market. There's risk here and there. And if everything falls apart, well, nothing's worth anything. And so you better have just a bunch of alcohol you can barter with, you know what I mean? And wise food storage or whatever right. else you got in your yeah. basement. I mean, you, you know, so at some point you mm-hmm. have to have faith in the system and the structures that are in place and, and, you know, you could you could play it out for a long period of time, and no amount of cash that you're sitting on is enough. But um, it took me a long time to come back after that because I remember the shock of just like sort of like okay,
1: we we prepared, we were ready, but doesn't feel like enough, you know? Yeah, I remember those. Days, yeah, especially I don't know
2: if where you were at, you were closed down completely, but in California, we were closed down for two months, and I remember just sitting in my office every day, not a single patient coming in, just. You know, kind of looking around, and like I, I kept all my employees on because I didn't want them to fall in hard times. And I was like, <laughs> I really hope we open up soon because I don't know how much longer we can do this for. I so yeah, yeah I, I feel you.
1: I there. know we
0: were cycling, so so we didn't have to not see patients. We were able to, you know, um, we could basically our patients were just canceling. You know, they they were doing it themselves. We, we were seeing, seeing urgencies mm-hmm. and emergencies. We we yeah. interpreted those as. Patient wants to come in. We'll see you. and that's how we interpreted it. So, um, yeah. and, and but but the reality was is that we probably saw four or five patients a day. Most of them were for ocular disease, you know, urgencies and emergencies, and um, and we kind of cycled through. I mean, I think about it. We, we didn't know. We were being told that this was spread on surfaces, and you know, so we were cy- we were cycling teams through. Yeah. So like one team that was with uh, my dad on the days he was there. Uh, I mean, I was with a different team, and so every other day we kind of alternated, and just so if if somebody went down, if one group went down, and we had to quarantine. There was still somebody that could take care of patients. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it's it's uh, yeah, crazy, crazy to think about. Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, um, yeah. I, I would say if we think about Dave Ramsey, my my initial thing is at some point you start looking at, like you said, high earners. And you look at, you know, I can invest in my business or I can buy more of the practice or I can, you know, buy a, a widget in the practice. And then you, you start to say, well,
1: you know, if I were just
0: going to take that money and pay off a loan that, you know, my student loans were 3.3, percent So, yeah. I mean, you, you think God, that that's not even good math, but, um, but there, that, and that's where it starts to feel weird when you are a
1: business owner and, and Dave Ramsey kind of falls apart, which is why when I read through your stuff, I was like, yeah, this makes a lot more sense for a higher income earner. Yeah. yeah you kind of have to balance it out a little bit. You know where the priorities lie and know where the
2: higher trajectories are going to be. So, yeah.
0: So, Aaron, uh, tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, if, they, if they haven't already found you, where can they find you? Um, where can they go to learn more information about ODs on Finance and um,
2: all those good things?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, first of all,
2: website Uh We are all on there. There's a live chat feature if you have a question. It actually shoots right over to my my phone and dad's phone. So feel free to check out all the resources on there. And then um, yeah, we just launched a new tool, uh, OD clinicals that came out three days ago. Um, it's just a, kind of an encyclopedia Everything a clinician needs at their chair site. So feel free to check that out too. And that's linked to the website. And otherwise, yeah, feel free to email me at aneufeldod at gmail.com. Happy to answer any questions. Uh, but yeah. And then, of course, the ods on Finance Facebook page where it all started. Uh, I'm active on there. So it's Dad, Julie, Chris, the rest of the studies on Finance team, we're happy to answer any question, whether it be on the forum in front of 13,000 individuals or privately. So feel free to
0: us. Awesome. Dr. Newfield, appreciate it. Thanks so much for doing this.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you for having me on, and it was a pleasure having you on to that building and coding project. I actually learned so much from that lecture. I was telling Dad and Joy that I, we, we need to have you on again because that was fantastic. Oh, I'd love and to. We had so many positive comments. Yeah, I, we looked at our feedback. Uh, normally, you know, you have like 2% that don't like it. This one was 100%. I was oh, like, awesome. yeah, yeah. we all learned quite a few things. So, yeah. Thanks so
0: much, man. I appreciate it.